Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment and let you know a couple of important things that are coming up in our community. As an update for the giving for the Vietnamese Alliance Church, we just want to let you know that we're thankful that we raised $7,000 to help them build their new building after the fire last year, so we thank you for your giving in that. And then also for our June Giving Challenge, we do want to remind you that we're seeking to raise $325,000 to the building fund, and to date we have currently received $45,000. So we do have a ways to go, and we recognize the church isn't a building per se, but the people of God united together in Him. However, our building is a key factor in where and how ministry gets done and an important part of how we serve God here at Southview. And we do recognize that it's a big ask in these challenging times, so we just ask that you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you in this. And donations can be made on Realm, through text code, or on the website, or dropped in any of the donation boxes along the back wall of the worship center if you're here in person. And we thank you for your consideration in this. This week, we're excited to have Dr. Bryce Ashlyn Mayo with us to open God's Word. Bryce has been in the Alliance family for about 25 years, and he's currently serving as the Dean of Theology at Ambrose University. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of the viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Well, greetings, Southview family. It is uh, great to be with you today. Um, For those that don't know me, uh, my name is Bryce, as was mentioned earlier uh, I am currently the Dean of Theology at Ambrose University and Seminary. And for those that don't know this, that's one of it's our denominational school as a Christian Missionary Alliance here in Calgary, just on the West End, where we have a liberal arts university where we help to uh, train men and women for uh, ministry in the classroom, ministry in business, uh, ministry in a variety of different ways, including vocational pastoral ministry, training to be international workers, etc., through our school of ministry and our seminary, to which I specifically give leadership and oversight to. And before that, I was uh, a local church pastor here in Calgary. Um, the, pr- the church I previously pastored until a couple of months ago was Westlife Church, just across the road from Callaway Park. So uh, it, this, I, I feel like I'm among friends, uh, largely because I know several of you. I'm friends with many of your pastors, which, by the way, this church is particularly blessed with some amazing leaders uh, that, uh, that are, are friends and colleagues of mine that I look up with the greatest of esteem, and you are blessed as a church family. Well, this morning, I have the pri- or this morning, this evening, I have the privilege of bringing you uh, God's Word as we uh, like look at this series of eating with 
Jesus. Different stories in Scripture of times when Jesus ate with other people. This is a common theme we see throughout the life of Jesus. And as I start then, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been unfairly judged? Have you ever been unfairly judged by other people? I'm sure you probably thought of examples. Here's one in my life that's specific to me, and maybe you can relate. About 15 years ago, there's a lady in my church who uh, had an old vehicle. It's kind of on its last legs, but she felt God was calling her to give it away. And so she had talked to me, her pastor. I love to give this away, and I feel like God wants me to do this for missions. And we had a lady from our church who was an international worker who had just come home and the lady asked me, could I talk to this lady and see if she would like this car? So I'm like, I'm happy to do that. I'm always happy to bless people. So I went and talked to this lady. I got this car, like with this car, would you be interested in it? And she's like, well, like it's pretty old and I kind of need something a bit more reliable than what this car can do. So it's pro- I'm probably going to have to pass. So I went back to talk to this lady who was wanting to donate this car. And, and in conversation with her, I was like, hey, like this is the situation with this person who wants to donate the car. They don't want it. But you know what? I, I actually am looking for a second vehicle. And if you're open to it, here's what we could do. I could give a very generous gift to our global advance fund. And, and I would take the vehicle, kind of like do what she wanted to do and have this vehicle. So she was like, that's a great idea. Would love to do that. So that's what we did. And I drove that car for 10 years. Now, Here's the thing about this car. It was a Cadillac. A Cadillac STS. This is the sports version of Cadillac. Half the things on the car worked. The half, other half didn't. Sometimes you would you know, flip a switch and nothing would happen. Sometimes it would happen. It was literally on its last legs. But it was a Cadillac. And some people, turns out, think it's weird that a pastor drives a Cadillac, even though parts of it are falling off. And I got tons of comments, mostly joking, about, oh, your fancy Cadillac. Meanwhile, half the things don't work in there, and I literally paid, you know, hundreds of dollars for it. It was very, at the last kind of legs of its life. And then about, I don't know, five years ago, I was driving in Springbank. We'd moved to Calgary then. I was driving in Springbank, and all of a sudden, the car just died. And so I went to find out, like, what was wrong with the car, and the mechanic was like, well, it's your alternator, and the alternator is worth twice as much as the car was, and I eventually had to sell the car, and I said at the time, I'm never buying a car like this again as a pastor. Even though it was hundreds of dollars, I got tons of flack for driving a Cadillac. I felt like I was persecuted. People were making fun of me. People were judging me for driving a Cadillac, even though it was worth hundreds of dollars. And I don't know if you've ever been, or been in that experience before where you felt judged by others. But here's actually another question. Have you ever judged others? And I guarantee you have. If not, you're probably thinking, I haven't, but the person next to me, they definitely struggle with judging others, thus the irony of you judging them. But here's the challenge of judgment, right? You all do it. You do, you do it when you drive down the road. You do it when you drive down like BMW drivers who can't seem to stay in their lane or the Chevy driver or whatever other driver, Nissan, Mac, whatever the, the car is, right? Those drivers who drive you nuts. You struggle with it every time you're in the grocery store and you're sitting in the lineup next to you is the express line or maybe it's the person in front of you in the express line and you're looking in their shopping cart you're starting to realize, I think they're interpreting 11 items or less as individual or, or like items 
even though they have multiple of those items, so the card is full, they only have 11 different items, and they've determined to exegete the 11 item things in their own particular way to say as long as there's 11 different things, even though there's multiple of each, then it's okay, and you're judging them incessantly. You know you've been there. You've judged the person next to me, and you've counted all their groceries in front of your line in the grocery store. And then there's social media, right? You've all been there. You've judged the person that you know, your coworker or a family member who's posted something that drives you crazy or is on another vacation and you're wondering how in the world can they afford to do another vacation and you're slowly judging them in your heart. This is something we all struggle with. Judging others is a common human struggle that has always existed and always will until Jesus comes and makes this world right. And the reason that's the case is because we all struggle with feeling worthy and loved. Because we struggle with feeling worthy and loved, we want to measure ourselves against other people. And you know what happens when we do this, right? We always measure the worst of others to the best of ourselves. Or sometimes the reverse, the best of others with the worst of ourselves if we're feeling particularly down or maybe discouraged. Right? This is the challenge because the reality is we do this because we're trying to figure out should we be valued and are we loved? And this is particularly poignant in our spiritual lives because we want to know where do I stand in my spiritual life? How am I doing in my spiritual life? And so I compare and judge other people and me against them. But the challenge of this, the complication of this, is that everyone is different and that comparison always falls short. So one of the challenge when it comes to comparing is our standards aren't necessarily the same. We're always comparing others to ourselves, and we're all different, and our standards are all different. And because our standards are different, we always end up in a weird place, and then we compare, and we end up stealing ourselves and robbing ourselves as joy. But here's the challenge of measuring standards. This has always been a challenge, and it's been a challenge since the time of the ancient Egyptians. I'm not talking about the Scripture story. I'm talking just about history in general, because when they originally started building, they would use this kind of building, kind of measurement of cubits. Does everybody know what a cubit is? In ancient Egypt, it was seen as the, your middle finger to your elbow and a half of cubit, and you can try this if you like, is like the span of your, of your pinky to your thumb, and it's about half of what a cubit is, Right, And if you're an art student or you followed you know, Leonardo uh, da Vinci, not Leonardo DiCaprio, Leonardo da Vinci. If you follow Leonardo da Vinci, you'll know of the Vesuvius, uh, Vesuvius man, or whatever how you pronounce it, which is this, this picture of this human being and the typical proportions. The challenge of that is that we all know that some people like me are annoyingly tall. And other people, I'm married to one, are a little bit vertically challenged. And if somebody who's shorter like my wife were to build something in our house 
it would end up via cubits being smaller than if I were to build it. Because our standards are different. And our spiritual lives, here's the challenge of judging others. As we end up comparing ourselves to others, and our standards are all different. But as we're going to discover this morning, looking at one of the times Jesus ate with people, Jesus challenges them with this dynamic of comparison. And we will discover the truth of Jesus saying, if you compare yourselves to others, you will always end up, especially spiritually, being robbed of joy, not having peace, and not having the freedom that Jesus wants to give you. Instead of the truth and the good news that it's not based on my goodness or my comparative goodness to other people, but based on a firm standard of Jesus' perfect goodness and his perfect love, that I fall and you fall drastically short of But in it, we find hope and peace because Jesus is perfect and Jesus is good. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me as we look at this particular story of eating with Jesus, this particular account in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. It'll be on the screen. Uh, Feel free to follow along. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read it and, and pause momentarily, track it on the screen. You'll see when I'm looking at my notes and when I'm looking at, at you to see where's, where we are in the scripture and where you are with me as I unpack the stories. We walk through it together. So Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. Um, friends, this is the word of the Lord. So one of the Pharisees, now we'll pause here. This Pharisee we'll discover soon is named Simon. It becomes evident in the text. So this Pharisee Simon asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to, to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now I'll pause here to know it's probably the Sabbath. Most scholars would think this. It's the Sabbath, and it was tradition that if a rabbi was coming, uh, uh, if you're inviting, uh, if, if the rabbi was speaking at the synagogue, it was considered a great honor for you to bring him into your home. And it was uh, how you treated that rabbi was important. You would treat them with utter res- respect, and you would look after them. And so we see this setting of Jesus reclining at the table. Now, this is not Jesus and a lazy boy with a... TV tray, right? Hanging out with the other Pharisees. This is Jesus most likely laying down, his face laying in and his feet on the outside because in this culture, nobody wore socks, looked after the feet. This was the, you kept the dirty part away and Jesus is leaning in and all the other Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people who Jesus at one point calls whitewashed tombs because they were so, uh, uh, so cognizant of how everyone viewed them while they were dying of uh, uh, Jesus, they're dying inside, kind of like a perfectly ornate coffin with deadness inside of it. That's what Jesus called the Pharisees, who were all about comparing with one another, seeing who should be together. And so they're all around, and they brought Jesus to honor him at the table, saying that who is around it are the most important religious leaders who are supposed to be there with Jesus. And Simon the Pharisee, of course, this is his Uh, party his meal, and he is there with Jesus as they honor him. And then verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city. Now, pause. We don't know who this woman is. Some people think it's Mary Magdalene, who oftentimes is viewed as a prostitute. All we're going to discuss and discover is this woman is uh, a person that everyone in the room would see as a sinner who doesn't belong with Jesus. And they're going to judge her and obviously push her out. They don't think she should be here. And so, 
it continues, who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask, uh, uh, alabaster flask of ointment. Now pause. This ointment was worth about a year's wages. This is extravagant. Most likely she's had this since birth. This is a treasure for her. This is her, uh, this is like a lot for her. It's everything. Everything this woman's going to do is to lay this before Jesus. And, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, this is Simon, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who, who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now as we look into this text, I'm going to imagine Everyone here is going to see themselves as one of two different people in this story. So let me just look at both of these different people. There are some people here who will see themselves in the woman who makes her way to see Jesus. She's so taken by him. And she comes and she falls at his feet. She's not allowed in the inner circle. And she's being quietly judged by the Pharisees, particularly Simon, the host of the party. And she comes in and she falls down and she weeps, so taken by Jesus' love, knowing she's probably not welcome. But anyway, she's going to respond at this meal and she's weeping. Now, have you ever cried like this? She's crying so much her face would have hurt and it's covering Jesus's feet to the point where the only thing she can do is take her hair and wipe Jesus's feet with it and then she takes the ointment that she's probably had for a very long time it's probably all of her possessions and she begins to wipe Jesus's feet with this ointment and imagine the smell in the air of this woman who is cleaning Jesus's feet with her tears this woman who wouldn't normally be invited in. This woman who would have probably felt really out of place. And I'm going to imagine in a room like this, there are some people here that feel incredibly out of place. You might be experiencing what some people call like imposter syndrome. But spiritually and in the church, you're here and you're wondering, if somebody saw me that knows me that's here, if somebody knew who I truly was, um, if, they just, if I got somehow found out, then I would be pushed out and unwelcomed here. Have you ever maybe felt this way? Some of you maybe feel this way right now. And you're really feeling like, I don't know if I'm loved or welcomed or accepted in the church or at the feet of Jesus you're wrestling with this. I remember this last week I was at a conference. I'm, I'm new to my role, and so sometimes I feel completely inadequate as anyone has taken on a completely different job. Sometimes you feel. I was at a, a conference with deans and presidents of universities and, and seminaries uh, from across North America and sitting at tables with some very um, uh, kind of uh, uh, people I felt like I was like a, my, like a friend would say, a hot dog in a steak shop. You ever felt that? It's like hopefully nobody asked me a question I don't know the answer to and gets embarrassed. Right? That's how I felt many times this last week. And you might be feeling that way spiritually in church. Like if somebody really found out, would I be welcomed here? 
And this morning, I want you to hear the story and the truth of Jesus, like this woman. Because she... This woman is invited in to see. She comes and weeps at the feet of Jesus. And her act of worship and love and mercy at who Jesus is, is all that's needed. As we'll discover soon in the text, there's somebody who's sitting at the table and it's not this woman. This woman is invited in, but she is invited by Jesus and welcomed in. And this morning, if that's you, I want you to know that you were lavishly loved by Jesus. Who, maybe in the midst of people who you might feel judged by, Jesus welcomes you and welcomes your worship. Even when other people might point your finger or think something else of you or judge you otherwise. Now here's the thing with a story like this. I've been around the church for many years, my whole life. And when I read the scriptures, I oftentimes see myself in one of two different people. The hero of the story, or the victim maybe of the story, right? I rarely see myself in the villain. Here's the thing for many of us. Many of us actually, if you look at the text, we actually might be the Pharisee in the story. The Pharisee at the story who has gathered together and is looking at other people in comparison because we maybe feel like I am uncertain if I am fully loved by God. I am uncertain if God can welcome me for who I am. I am uncertain of all of that. And in the midst of that uncertainty and in the midst of that worry and anxiety, if I am loved completely by God, if I can make other people not feel welcomed at the table, if I can make them feel like they don't belong, if I can judge them, then maybe I feel better about myself. And then we struggle internally with that judgment. And perhaps that is us. That's you or I in the story. And if you read the text, the Pharisee never says a word. For the Pharisee, much like us, the judgment's just in his heart. I don't know if you caught that. But the judgment's not in his heart. He doesn't push the woman away. He just thinks it, holds it in his heart. And Jesus, in his prophetic nature, calls it out. The guy's like, don't you see this woman? If you're a prophet, you would know that she's a sinner. And Jesus is like, no, I know, who the, I know where there's sin in this room. And it's not this woman who's worshiping me. It's in the judgment of the heart of the person who is hosting the meal. And maybe that's many of us who harbor judgment in our hearts because we want to feel like we're welcomed at the table. So if we push other people away and say that you don't belong or somehow this is not for you, this table where where we gather with Jesus isn't for you, we will maybe feel like this is more us. And inside our hearts have been infected by that and our hearts have grown uh, cold and calloused. About 10 years ago, um, I, I, I'm married with my wife, Lori. We have three children. They're all adults. One of our children, Lucas, has Down syndrome. He's 20 now, but when he was about uh, 15 or uh, no, he, about, he was probably about 10 or 11 or so. It's about 10 years ago. He uh, came down with a, a sickness. We couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. He was lethargic. His, he kept complaining. His leg was hurting. We just figured he was being lazy. We didn't know what was going on. He was sleeping all the time. We took him to doctor, to doctor, to doctor, to eventually he went to his cardiologist and was diagnosed with having an infection in his blood that had created a growth in his heart. And the doctor was immediately, we need to have open heart surgery. And so with, we went to the children's hospital and within like 12 hours, 
I was taking Lucas because I was trying to be strong and wheeling him into the operating room table. Now, like Lucas has Down syndrome, so he uh, loves to have joy in all things, even when he is going into the operating room. And he didn't quite understand everything that was happening. But as we kind of wheeled into the operating room, uh, uh, operating room kind of theater, we went through and all of there's lights and there's screens and he thought he was the greatest thing. There's 10 people all greeting him. It's the children's hospital. They're smiling. He's thinking this is the most amazing thing. I'm trying to be strong for him. And as we wheel him in, they're like, take the mask. And they're like, hey, if you smell it, there's strawberries which they're totally lying, by the way. And so he smells it, and then he's like, look, and this doesn't smell like strawberries. And then his eyes glaze over, and he's out. And then I experienced what maybe you have experienced at moments if you've got children who are in peril. I wept uncontrollably. I just started bawling. Only words I could get out of my face is, or get out of my mouth is, please help my boy. And then I walked out, in kind of the vulnerability of what was going to happen next. And I think, for many of us, this is our moment for us Pharisees that sometimes push people in our hearts out of the, ta- out of the table or maybe don't think we're, or think we're better than when it comes to spiritually other people. Is that we too are struggling. We too are struggling with judgment towards others. You or I might struggle with judgment towards other people. And that judgment that exists begins to grow like an infection in our heart. And we need God to do surgery on us so that we can learn to let that judgment go and forgive. This evening, as you consider this, here's my challenge to you, maybe as a fellow Pharisee. Would you know the truth of this? That if you struggle with this, Jesus loves and cares for you. And you are also profoundly welcomed at the table. Jesus wants to eat with you as he does with the Pharisee. He loves religious judges like you and me. He wants to change us, perform heart surgery on you. But whether you feel like the woman who is broken and feels like she doesn't belong, Jesus lavishly loves you, or you feel like the Pharisee, and you struggle with judgment in your heart. You never say it, of course, but you experience it internally. Jesus wants to challenge you with his love and his mercy and his grace. And for all of us Pharisees in the room, Jesus then, and we'll close with this, tells us this story. It goes like this. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money letter had two debtors. One he owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them would he love more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to, he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, you see this, one, this woman, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, and she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And you give me no kiss, But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who forgives little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the women, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus uses the story of the canceled debt to illustrate the forgiveness and grace, grace that he is extended to the undeserving woman. She has a debt that she could not pay. But here is the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of the gospel for everyone in this story. We all have a debt we cannot pay. But Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has paid it full on our behalf. Jesus is worshipped and honored by the one who deserved it the least, and she is the one who leaves with peace. This is the power of the gospel, and it's the good news of Jesus. In many ways, I think this parable contrasts the Pharisee and the woman because it leaves us with a decision. Who am I in this story? And who shall I be? Am I in the one who is weeping at the feet of Jesus, or am I the one who is judging others in my heart and with the decisions of my life? Because only one of those people left the dinner in peace, freedom, and joy. And it wasn't the self-righteous religious leader. Rather, it was the tear-filled, hair-soaked, perfumed-smelling woman who was transformed at the feet of Jesus. So selfie, who who are you today in the story? Are you the Pharisee who struggles with judging other people, even if it's in your heart and it's calloused it and made you, uh, uh, and it's robbed your joy and your peace? God wants to do heart surgery on you today. He wants to bring you freedom and joy and peace so that you, like this woman in the story, would just experience the lavish love and mercy and grace. And the good news that exists for both of these people is there's room at the table for you. Jesus wants to meet with you. If you're a uh, uh, self-righteous, kind of a self-focused person who judges other people, guess what? There's room at the table for you. Jesus loves you, and there's nothing you can do to earn it. It's lavish, and it's amazing. And when you embrace it like the woman in the story, guess what? It sets you free. You can experience peace, and that comparison that robs you of your joy is gone. And the joy of Jesus begins to fill you and the freedom of Christ can begin to exude through your whole life. Or maybe you're the woman in the story and you don't feel you're welcome. Here's the truth for you this evening. And I truly want to hear it. So with every ounce of all of the calling and all of the kind of authority I have as a minister of the gospel, I want you to know this. You are loved at the table by Jesus No matter what you have done, you are welcome. We are all undeserving of the mercy of Jesus, and yet Jesus' mercy is always enough. And you can come and weep. The holiest place at this table wasn't in the center. It was at the feet of Jesus with the tear-soaked hair and the perfume uh, scent of the feet of Jesus from the worship of the woman who felt she didn't belong. So if you are here and you don't feel you are loved, would you hear that you are lavishly loved by Jesus? The moment Pastor Sam is going to come up and lead us in communion, and I want you to know if you're struggling, and maybe Jesus is pointing at your heart, and challenging you as a self-sufficient, you know, uh, a judgmental Pharisee that we all, I think, to some degree struggle with comparing and judging other people. Would you know that you are welcome at the table and Jesus' grace is enough for you? 
and that God can do heart surgery in your life and set you free. And if you're someone who feels like you don't belong, and how could Jesus ever forgive you? If Jesus, if everyone here knew what I did, and that spiritual imposter syndrome takes over, everyone here would, would, would push me aside. There's room at the table for you. Come and worship extravagantly and beautifully. And discover a Jesus who loves completely. Because the truth of Scripture is here for you. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of how much of our unrighteousness, the Scripture says? All of our unrighteousness. All of it. And it's inexhaustible. This is the hope for you and me. Come to the table and experience the goodness of Jesus. Come to the table and experience the forgiveness of Jesus. Jesus wants to eat with sinners like you and me. People who don't feel like we belong and some of us who might feel like we belong more than others. All of us, Jesus says, come to the table and find my healing and my forgiveness. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I I pray for my friends, and I pray that, Jesus, as we meet you, that you would uh, uh, meet us right where we are. And all of our brokenness, I pray that you would challenge us. For those that feel like a woman who, the woman in the story who didn't feel like she belonged, I pray that, Jesus, you would remind them, all of us who are of that, feel like that's us, of how loved we are at your table and how welcome we are. And for those of us that struggle with judging in our hearts, I pray that you would rip our chest open and heal us because the love of the Father is one like I experienced with my son of, our, of, 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 of uh, an utmost love for even us as religious uh, judgers of other people. Would you heal our hearts and remind us that we too in our sin are welcomed at the table. And then may all of us when we experience you, walk out of here as people who experienced your peace and your joy because we've experienced your forgiveness because your grace is inexhaustible and your love is lavish. We embrace it today in your name. Amen. Thank you, Bryce, for leading us to this table and uh, reminded that we are welcome to come to eat the good news of what Jesus has brought to us and through his body. And we're reminded that uh, when Jesus was with his, his friends in the upper room and he, uh, he took bread and after he'd given thanks, he, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood drink. And every time you drink, do this in remembrance of me. And every time you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you're proclaiming my death until I come again. And so we're going to be coming to this meal uh, to be fed by Christ, regardless of where you are at in your journey, whatever person you um, kind of connect with in the story. Jesus has done all for us. And I want to remind us from Isaiah 53 what our Savior has done through his suffering and sacrifice. So as we prepare to come for this meal, 
Hear these words and let's reflect. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others. A man of suffering and acquainted with affirmity. And as one from whose others hide their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. Surely he was born our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Therefore, I will lot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And so as we come to this meal, we pray, Father, we ask that in this bread and in this cup, we ask that you would feed us. We, we know it's by your grace and your work that we're invited into this, this meal to, to sup with you and to find joy and peace and release from all of the sin that we carry. And so, God, we come to you and we ask that in this meal, you would restore us and remake us and continue to reconcile us to yourself through Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I invite you to peel off the top and take out the wafer. And just hold that and reflect just for a moment on the suffering of Jesus for you. And so, friends, hear these words. The body of Christ was broken for you. Receive from him. I invite you to peel that other layer off. And, and just for a moment, reflect on the sacrifice that Christ did for you. And friends, this is the blood of Christ that was poured out for you. Receive from him. Amen. I invite you to stand as we close our service. And uh, 
our time is not over. It's an opportunity to connect with one another. And as we're reminded through what we heard this evening and through uh, this table, we are free in Christ because of his good work in us. So let's live in that freedom. And as you go into this week, receive these words. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you and have a wonderful week.